Welcome back to Fresh Sounds Open Ears. This is your host, Alex Eddington. This is episode five of Fresh Sounds Open Ears, but actually it's going to be the first of our two-part episodes. Uh, Part of that is because of me. Uh, I've just had a number of things going on lately that have made me uh, kind of stressed out and tired, um, one of which was, actually this is a great thing, but I got my first vaccine shot, uh, the Pfizer vaccine, and it really knocked me out. I didn't feel sick at all, but I was very tired for about 28 or 30 hours, so that put me behind on some things. The other reason I'm splitting these episodes into two parts is because it just seems my conversations with these uh, really interesting people are getting longer, and uh, there's less I want to cut out. So uh, today I'm talking to Juliet Palmer, and you're going to hear the second part of this episode in about a week. You also might have noticed that I'm releasing this part one on a Wednesday instead of last Friday. I'm experimenting with different uh, release days uh, because I felt like we were getting a little bit lost on Fridays. So today you're going to hear the first part of my interview with Juliet Palmer. So Juliet is someone I've uh, known for quite a few years and really looked up to. Uh, I'm a big fan of her and also her husband, James Rolfe, also a fine composer. They both live in Toronto, and we run into each other at events all the time when there are events. Uh, Juliet is someone I really look up to, not just because uh, her music sounds great and is really interesting, uh, but pretty much everything she does is highly collaborative. And I find just in general, Juliet Palmer's uh, attitude and, and vibe uh, is so uh, inspirational. She's so warm and grounded and uh, uh, deep with a deep, a deep and interesting thinker and outside the box kind of, I'm just, okay, these are platitudes, but uh, I think you'll understand what I'm getting at when we start to uh, talk to Juliet today. Just before we start today's episode, we've got to do a little bit of the usual housekeeping and I'm going to slap some theme music under there. Fresh Sounds Open Ears is now available pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast. So our home base is anchor.fm, but uh, you can also find us in Podcast Addict, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, etc., etc. There are many little places to listen. Uh, Now, all of these let you subscribe. And if you've enjoyed our show so far and you want to be the first to see episodes when they pop out, please click that subscribe button. Uh, Some of these apps also let you rate and review podcasts, uh, most notably podcast addict and itunes will let you do that and this really helps us go up in the rankings so if you enjoyed the podcast so far uh, why not leave us a review tell us what you think Uh, please also feel free to get in touch and uh, reflect on what you've been listening to over on our social media channels i'm always uh, up for having a little uh, typed conversation with you about uh, what you're thinking so on instagram we are at fresh sounds underscore open ears on twitter at fsoe underscore podcast and we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash fresh sounds open ears, all one word. Juliet Palmer. We know each other in the real world. Hello, Alex Eddington. Hello. So let's identify ourselves for the listeners at home. Uh, sometimes I forget to do that in 10 minutes and I'm like, I'm, oh yeah, I'm talking to this person. So uh, how do we know each other? We met through composery things in Toronto. I feel like we met through Continuum, possibly. Most likely. Mm-hmm. I might have met James a little bit before I met you. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure mm-hmm. about that. And you were um, running about doing shows. You were singing and acting and making things up. I was. I, I was at that time doing doing <laughs> a lot of fringe theater shows. Yeah. I was actually just uh, talking on a... I was a guest on another podcast yesterday, um, New Musings on New Music out of Halifax. And that's what... They really wanted to talk about my theater stuff. <laughs> which is, But it's a composer podcast, so I was, I was like struggling to relate it to my composition output. But in a way, it's a bit of an aberration period for oh, me. That I, I thought was, it was ongoing. Well, I think it. No, I think it. I think it resurfaces when when it needs to. I know it's it's actually <laughs> been five years since my last friend show, but I'm thinking about turning it into something like a podcast, like an audio I, series. See, Alex, I thought I saw photos of you on social media dressed as some kind of um, wildlife ranger scoutmaster character, and I, you know, there Wait you go. Wait a second. <laughs> This is ringing a bell. I think you did ring. something. Anyway, it's... In COVID, <laughs> bells don't ring very strong anymore for me. It was a summer thing. It, it may have been one of the clown-related things. I yes. Think get, or storytelling go. things I get sucked yeah. into. Yes, it resurfaces. And I, you know, I think we're both kind of theatrical composers, too. Right? Mm-hmm. 
that sort of way of thinking about things. Um, Yeah, so thank you for coming on here. Um, I mean, we know each other through professional music making like Continuum and things like that. But, you know, the focus of this podcast is is really on um, the composers who have a, a substantial body of work for amateurs or young musicians or in a in a collaborative way where there's a mm-hmm. collaborative creation. And you do this in many different dimensions. So yeah. Yeah. I think what we'll do is sort of speak just generally about your work and, and who you are and just do a series of rapid fire questions. And then we'll sort of zoom in on a few uh, projects like Quarry and uh, with, with Jumbly's Theater and and the things you do through Urban Vessel and all that. I was digging around your various websites today. And That's good. You have done I, I was, more than I even knew about. <laughs> I was digging as well to try and remember, what did I do? What have I done? Yeah, <laughs> What's I had this about? <laughs> with the podcast yesterday, like, well, who am I? What do I do? I know, it's a bit what, sad when you why, have to... Why do I not make a living doing it? <laughs> no, it is sad yeah. when you have to look at your own website to try and remember what you do or what you did. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, that's life. I've been I've been the man who does too much for as long as I can remember, and I any effort I make to do less stuff doesn't work. Because yeah. I like things, and I like to do things. Yeah, being busy. And when someone says, do this thing, I always say yes. Right. So yeah. rapid-fire questions. Yeah, well, I like, you know, I, I, I like to get to know the, the people and the composers on this show. And I don't, like, I haven't even opened my questions. They're all just sort of like things that jump into my head or what I remember I've asked before. But like the, the big one I've been asking everybody is, could you please describe the music you compose in three words? Oh, gosh. Now, you can define them or explain them <laughs> if you want. But, uh, and you can do them one at a time. Uh, the first would be playful. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to define that right now. Ooh, the second one. Eh. Um, you should have sent me this question beforehand. Well, I, like, I thought I did. I thought I did. Maybe <laughs> I didn't say the three-word three thing. thing, but that's okay. okay. I mean, playful. I, like I go people. playful, irreverent, but that's kind of in the same ballpark, but not necessarily. Playful, irreverent, um, together. That's what I'm going to say. Mm. There you go. Together, together. That the there's a the, the idea of togetherness. Yeah. yeah, that music brings us together, or that music yeah. bring. Yeah, I love it. Or together um, with with a tree, together with water, together with each other, together with sound, together with life. That feels really relevant okay. uh, to the things we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So so um, okay, playful arella. Irrelevant. <laughs> irreverent. Irreverent. We've all felt a bit irrelevant this We've year. We don't need to yes, emphasize that. <laughs> and uh, and together. Awesome. So with my steel trap memory and mispronunciation skills, I will come back to those. <laughs> I'll write them down just point. in case I forget what I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you do so many different things. You work with the Elements Choir. Uh, you've worked with youth choirs like we did a project together uh, which you finished and I'm still working on oh, true. for yes. Viva Singers. Yes. Yeah, because they, they were supposed to premiere that last May yep. and it's been deferred and mm. it might be next May now. That's two years after yep. the, the plan. Yep. So I ended up not quite finishing mine yet, but I'm going to do that very soon. Um, yeah, so we worked together on that and you've done work with, with Continuum and uh, with Jumbly's Theater and uh, you have that album Rivers. Is that is that the title of the yep. album? Mm-hmm. Rivers? Working with with vocalists mm-hmm. who were improvising in a structured. Way. Oh, it depends on the piece. Some of some of it's yeah. completely written out, and it's come from an opera. Others, it's um, for a mix of uh, improvising within a framework, or mm-hmm. yeah, it, it depends. Depends on the piece. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I, what else? I saw lots of opera mm-hmm. and 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 things in that kind of music theater sphere. I saw your opera. I forget the title. The one that that had a clown influence. Oh yeah, shelter, yeah. shelter. Yes, mm-hmm. I saw that in Edmonton, the in 2012. Atomic uh, right. cartoon yes. opera. <laughs> yes, and it just seems to me mm-hmm. that everything you do, there are you know you're, you're tailoring the approach to composing to the project and and you're you're also working with so many collaborators Mm -hmm. is that is that fundamental uh to you yeah i mean (laughs) it's funny because when i when i sort of revisited my mind 
this conversation. Before it had happened, I revisited what this is going to be about. <laughs> and I was thinking, gosh, uh, I have been writing music for young people for a long time or for in a collaborative way for a long time. And I was thinking probably the very first things that I did was when I was uh, doing my master's in clarinet uh, in Auckland, in New Zealand. Uh, I had a part-time gig teaching clarinet to elementary school kids. I think it was an after-school program. And I would write these little pieces. It was always a group lesson and I'd write a lot of pieces so that um, we could play together and it would be fun and you could actually do something because otherwise they literally were climbing out the window. <laughs> I turn around and then I'd turn back and I'd be like, oh, one of them's gone. Oh, where are they? So yes, music that is engaging and fun yes. to play and make together and makes people not want to climb out the window. So that is is important. Yeah. Just to clarify, you're talking about literally climbing out the, the yes, window. Yes, yes. Yes, I had that happen once to me. That was a grade nine student, okay. so I don't know how they fit, to be honest. Well, this, you know, it was fun. Good, good on them for figuring that out, how to get out the window. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so, yeah, that's true. I mean, because sometimes you, you have to find a way to meet young people where they're at and, or, and, 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 and make them want to be part of something. Any, anyone them... who's not being paid to perform your yeah, music. That's true too. <laughs> you know, the other experience was um, the first, you know, full on um, composing for non-professional musicians would have been when I did um, Like an Old Tale for Jumbly's Theatre. And that was, mm -hmm. I think, premiered in 2011, maybe? 20, okay. 2011, 2012. And so that was working with a lot of singers um, who, yeah, they needed to love that music or they're not going to give themselves to it. Why Why would they? Absolutely. They're there. They're showing up for hours and hours of rehearsals, um, turning their lives upside down so they can be part of this show. So it had better be rewarding for them. Yeah. And in, and, and in that organization in particular at, at Jumblies, they're, they're part of the process in many different ways. So they're, they're involved like that. What I've done with them, they were the, the um, gather round uh, singers mm -hmm. were involved with text and also with creating um, ceramics. And yeah. then we sound sampled the ceramics and you know, all that sort of, like and it's this multi-level collaboration mm -hmm. that, that makes them the authors in a way. Do you always consider yourself the composer or are you sometimes a facilitator? Um, yeah, I mean, it depends. First. Yeah, it depends on the project. Sometimes, yeah, I am a facilitator or we are co-creators. Um, yeah, it would depend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and there there is a... There's a lot of baggage in uh, classical music around authorship. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, discomfort around sharing authorship. That's not like up until fairly recently, say, if you were to apply for a grant to co-compose something, that would be seen as unusual. It just wouldn't fit into the, right. the system. So, yeah, but certainly within community arts, it's a bit more like, um, well, say how a choreographer might credit co-created with the dancers. Um, yes. Yeah. So that's becoming more common. It's not that well, out there. <laughs> particularly if you're working uh, with with amateur community groups, but, but also if you're working in a, a medium that is not scored, mm -hmm. It, it seems odd, actually, to not credit the performers as creative con contributors. Yeah. Right? If there's an improvisational component or if it's even interpretations of a graphic score, like they are bringing more of an input than they would bring if you just put a part in front of them. Do, do you have pieces where you just put parts in front of people and that's where it's like composer, ivory tower, come out the door. Oh, I see. Like on the music stands and run away again. Uh, like, does that... Yeah. I mean, writing for orchestra tends to be like that. True. And that's a limitation of the time available. You, you yes. learn over the years that, you know, count on 20 minutes. <laughs> rehearsal time. Yes, I mean, yes, indeed. You do get more than that, but um, yeah, your music has to be pretty robust 
there's a, an awful lot of people sitting there playing it and right. you've got to be clear because there's no time to answer if everyone had a question that just wouldn't happen right hey i'm just it's just a matter of practicality just yeah. going to ask someone who is my husband who's making noise outside to just be quiet hang on please tell him i said okay So we had to stop for a moment here because Juliet's husband, uh, who's also a composer, James Rolfe, was out installing rain barrels and making a uh, great degree of really interesting noise. So Juliet went out to uh, deal with that. And then we got back to the conversation. Yeah, it's not. I mean, the best experience I had, in fact, well, the most rehearsal time was with uh, NYO Canada. So the youth orchestra, because Mm -hmm. they're really great players they're not jaded and they have more time and so that was good that was a project actually with um two spoken word artists so people who didn't read music um and then bringing them into an orchestral context so that sort of similar challenges to what you know you're talking about in the podcast how do you bring those worlds together in a way that's respectful and satisfying for everyone involved and, and it takes time, really, is what it is. It takes time and building your relationships so that you trust each other. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Was that the, the National Youth Orchestra's prerogative? Did they want to bring those people in? Or were you, yes. Or did you bring them no, in? that was a project, oh, okay. actually. It's called the Unsilent Project. And, in fact, okay. there's another... It's not a podcast. It's a, it's a really nice video interview that Gregory O just did with myself and Ian Cousson, who was the other composer. So it was um, part of their national tour that they did. And it mm-hmm. was um, a project that was funded during the year of the 150th uh, cel- celebration, if you want to call it, of Canada. And it was... The, the sesquicentennial, yes, and so it, yeah, and so it was a yeah. celebration of the work of a indigenous spoken word artist, Zacchaeus Jackson. So um, that was a collaboration between NYO Canada and Signal Theatre with Michael Gray Eyes and Phelan Johnson, and okay. um, yeah, two indigenous spoken word artists, and yeah. Big project. <laughs> and yeah, and, and, and a fair amount of time to work on it, I imagine, because a group like the NYO is their sort of, it's professional training that they yeah. do a lot of rehearsals. Mm-hmm. And so how, look, when did the spoken word artists come in? Was it the last couple of rehearsals? I or, mean, or I'm trying to think. We were there. Oh, no, we, there were many meetings beforehand, really, to mm-hmm. get, to develop a sense of a team and uh, a shared approach to how we might work together. So Ian wrote a piece that was just the orchestra. In fact, I think it was just strings. And then my one was full orchestra with um, Zoe Priceless Roy and Lindsay Equal Night performing, doing a two-voice version of this uh, piece called Invicta by Zacchaeus Jackson. So yeah, so there were a lot of rehearsals and I spent a lot of time working with the two of them, with Phelan Johnson directing them and figuring out ways to make it comfortable for them to be on stage with the orchestra and for the conductor to help um, kind of ease them into sections, out of sections. How could they signal to him? How could he signal to them? You know, they had stuff memorized, obviously. Um, So really just getting people comfortable. It just takes time. And so you've got to be willing to build a rehearsal process that allows for that. And that's something that can happen with the youth orchestra when they're in residence in their summer program for several weeks. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good good fit in in the sense mm-hmm. that they, even though these are very fine, you know, getting to be professional level musicians in the orchestra, mm-hmm. they are in a learning phase of their yeah. careers. And, and it, it yeah. makes, it's a good place to to explore. And they were also learning. Yeah, well. they were learning about Canada's history in terms right, of, of residential schools and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the recommendations. And so it was a big learning, not just musical learning, but really um, kind of political, social, historical learning going on. Mm-hmm. Do you have any projects that aren't collaborative? Like, do you, I, I feel like everything I 
have heard or that you're talking about there's there's you're you're bringing elements together um and there's a function there's a there's a there's a sense of relationship uh between mm -hmm. them and that i you know that that's i think it's fantastic i'm just trying to picture you writing string quartet opus whatever yeah i mean i do just walking away yeah no that. i mean i've I haven't written a string quartet for a while i've read a couple of them mm -hmm. um oh i mean the I'm just trying to think. I just did a solo piano piece a couple of years ago called Burl. And that was part of a larger project that the pianist Stephen DePledge, who's a New Zealander, was based in London for a long time. He wanted to do, um, commission a series of pieces that are responding to a Bach keyboard suite. And so okay. we each chose a, a movement and wrote something in relation to that. So, um, and I chose a burlesque and wrote Burl. Um, but that, you know, so that's someone else creating a frame and then I'm happy to be in there and play play with yes. that. Um, but then you're part of someone else's I collaboration. I am, yeah. <laughs> Although you weren't co-composing. No, not co-composing. I guess, yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah that's all, I mean, I, just sort of the abstract thing. I'm always writing for someone. I'm never writing mm -hmm. for some imaginary person. So it is, yes. a, it's always about relationship. Yeah. I think it's great that I can't think of non-collaborative things that you've done and, <laughs> and that, that, that it all, there's always some, I think it's not what I thought a composer was when I first, you know, started being one and learning about what they were. And I, I, but I think it's a model that has much more relevance today and in, in future. It's um, how life works, really. I mean, it's yeah. like, you're not, you are not alone. You're not an isolated being. And so yeah. I don't know why people would imagine that they could just sit in a room, write music, and then somehow magically it would be performed. And yeah, it just doesn't work like that. <laughs> And and only in classical music do we imagine that music isn't that the creation of music isn't collaborative. And I mean, historically, right. it's deeply, it's always collaborative. Of course, it was. <laughs> it's only it's only more. It's like a night since the nineteen probably probably Schoenberg days. I don't know that things start. Changing. I don't know if even that's true. I don't even know. Yeah, I'm not I think sure. just maybe the emphasis on this music as pure music, serving some yeah. kind of theoretical uh, function to demonstrate. Ah, my theory, it is proven by this piece. Uh, then it just sort of divorces <laughs> the the life of the composer and the relationships that actually surround the yeah. coming into being of this music. It, it uh, obliterates or forgets. But I mean, there are musicologists who write about that as well, the social context of yeah. making music. Musicking! Yeah, mm. yeah. It 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 is... Um, maybe rarer to find, you know, fully academic ivory tower composers now. And I think that's a fantastic thing. Um, yeah. What project shall we talk about in detail? Ooh. What should we, I, I, I mean, we're go, we're definitely going to share the audio of Quarry mm -hmm. and uh, I might pop yeah. in here or I can put it at the, at the end as I've been doing. Uh, but I think that's a great one to talk about because that, that's actually, that's the day that I first clued into how wonderful Jumbly's Theatre was. Mm. I remember I went to that, uh, that was at the Brickworks in Toronto, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I went there, um, because I was interested in, in what you had done and what Jason Dwell had, had done for his big piece. And, uh, the Brickworks seemed like a cool place for a concert. And I was like, oh, who's this Jumbly's Theatre people? And I thought it would be like four professional actors who do acting to your music. But that is not what it is <laughs> at all. And I was blown away by this community theater organization and, and theater in the loosest, most broad and beautiful sense of the word. Like, how would you describe what Jumblies does or what, what, like, what are they? I mean, they're a community-engaged interdisciplinary company that whose, whose roots are in theater, but mm -hmm. they're always bringing in artists of all disciplines to bring to life a bigger vision. And it's a vision about connection too. So it's rooted in a neighborhood, um, although not necessarily, like they did their project. Um, 
where they traveled across Canada by train, although visiting right. very grounded communities along the way. Um, there was, yes, that's right. And, and they also send out satellites like they, they've, they've founded mm -hmm. similar organizations in the greater Toronto yeah. area. So like yeah, so Jumbleys began yeah, yeah. in one location, and then that became, became Arts for All on Devonport, uh, sort of in my end of town. Oh, yes, indeed. Then they did a project at Montgomery Inn, and that became Mabel Arts. And then they did uh, Like an Old Tale in Scarborough, and that spawned, um, is it the Guild? No, what's it called? Mm, the one in... Oh, the, the, uh, the yeah, that um, arts... <laughs> I forget it. Beautiful Arts Centre. Okay, uh, so the organization we were talking about, uh, we got the name a little bit wrong. It was the Community Arts Guild. Uh, they are out of Scarborough in the greater Toronto area, and they're based at the Cedar Ridge uh, Creative Centre, which is a fantastic place. Uh, of course, they do a lot of things online these days. And so Beth Helmer leads that one. And then they found their home um, downtown, sort of Bathurst, near the waterfront, at the ground floor. And that's sort of the home of the ground floor singers or the gather-round singers. So and actually the gather-round singers brings together many choirs from each of those other community organizations. Right. So it's an incredible... Um, incredibly fertile way of going about things i and mm. uh yeah ruth and they're not they're not a typical choir anyway. no they're quiet and i mean the other thing i should say about jumblies which is very much ruth howard's philosophy is everybody is welcome everyone is welcome and yes. so over the years um there's just been a honing of the craft and the understanding of what does that mean in, in practical terms, you know, transportation, food, uh, removing barriers to participation so that anyone who is curious and wants to join in can. And so the yes. iteration um, of the choir that I was part of, yeah, there were people there uh, who were in wheelchairs, who you might say had a limited vocal palette, but a strong desire to express sound and be part of, uh, be part of a creative process and, and of the performance. And so there's room for everyone, people whose, you know, English isn't a first language, all yep. ages. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing choir. And I like singing with them too. Sometimes I help out and sing for other people's projects That's i right. sang on your round <laughs> yeah when we did the round the table project and then i think you had a, a night or two you couldn't do the the show and so i came in and uh sang the parts while you were yeah. away too and that was just so fun <laughs> to be to be a part of it i should probably explain the round the table project a little bit so Jumbly's Theater uh, put out a call for composers to write rounds that would be sung at uh, an event, which was not to be a concert, but more of a community arts event. Uh, and that's how I first got involved with Jumbly's Theater. And uh, the rounds were actually based on the idea of being together for a communal activity, specifically cooking and eating. And so the whole event was around making soup, and uh, the uh, community members had also made uh, ceramic bowls and plates for this meal. And then the gather round singers uh, were involved with singing these rounds. So we would eat dinner with the community at the same tables and then uh, sing these rounds, which were about food. And my round was actually about the soup. I made music from the ingredients uh, of the soup as described by one of the community members in a, in a verbatim recording. So it's a very cool project. Yeah, and then the, the project I did with them the next year, Tilescapes, um, like, yeah, it was, it was the Gather Round Singers, but they had been working with that ceramic artist. Yeah, Parker Dirks. Yeah. Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. right. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so I, I went into that not knowing what we were going to do, but Ruth... Ruth has strong ideas, but very organic ideas. And, yeah. and like in the spur of the moment, just kind of has a great vision of what we can do as a next step mm -hmm. with everything. Yeah. And uh, so I got a little bit of a taste of, of what it was like to create also sort of um, soundscapes. And also we did sort of spoken word music 
with with the choir. Mm -hmm. That was very much done in rehearsal. What was your experience creating Quarry, which also has a professional ensemble of how many musicians? Uh, six or seven? Something like that. Six or seven, yeah. I think. Yeah. And, and a professional singer, Sarah mm -hmm. Albu. Yeah, Sarah Albu's a soloist. Um, Oh, it's very, it's very fun, satisfying. I mean, I would come in with sort of kernels of ideas and we would vamp around them together and I'd find out what works, like what's a, what's a way to create a really rich and engaging sound here that people are going to want to do. They're not going to feel intimidated about trying mm -hmm. something weird. <laughs> like how, how can you sort of, not trick people, but lead people into something that they haven't done before, but you're pretty sure once they're into it, they're going to have a good time. So yeah, there was a lot of, uh, yeah, there were, there were moments of here's just the word and you're going to get the cue and we know what this texture is. It's going to be busy or it's going to be dense. It's going to be right. Whatever. And you know, there's a clear starting point and an end point. It might get louder, might get softer. So things like that. And then for the more sung portions, it was figuring out what, um, again, what works, what's asking too much, what's, what's going to be satisfying. And so often Sarah would be singing a line in a way, feeding it to them. And then, you know, half of them singing that line and then she sings the next one that's the harmony and that feeds it to the rest of the group. And so then they've got something um, that they can hang on to and it sounds good together and it's and then she goes off and does something more uh, virtuosic over it. So, you know, very simple, yeah. very simple setups, but um, I didn't, I mean, they love singing, so I want to mm -hmm. give them some actual singing as well as sounding and, and you yeah. don't have to do anything to convince them to make sounds that that some of the choirs would take workshop after workshop to to make. Like that, they will just go for mm -hmm. it. I find and make some very unusual and interesting and very personal and unexpected sounds. Yeah. There's no expectation in a way. No, and I, I'm trying to think because I did some of that work with, and I don't know if it's the same singers, but certainly for jumblies for like an old tale like exploring soundscape and did a lot of uh, creative sound workshops, um, you know, with people in circles and responding to different cues, whether it's sort of to do with the story or just the sound of language itself, but getting, yeah, getting people loosened up, closing their eyes, um, losing their fear of being foolish and mm -hmm. yeah, just getting carried away by the sounds so, yeah, so maybe laying the groundwork, and I'm sure other people worked with them as well in similar, um, more yeah. freewheeling ways. That's they good. have a they have a very strong relationship with their their conductor, though, Shifra Cooper, who mm -hmm. I, I think um, I think that's part of it is she's sort of developed a, a trust with them and mm -hmm. perhaps also a kind of a gestural language and a, certainly a way of working. Yeah. That makes them feel comfortable exploring with mm -hmm. their voices and bodies. and Yeah, and I, I've worked with Schiffer for a long time from when she was quite young. So and she's mm -hmm. been, ex I don't know, just through me, but probably through other ways. I mean, she's been exposed to singers like Christine Duncan, who's come into projects that I've done with Schiffer when Schiffer was sort of an assistant. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, just being uh, familiar from for a long time with, different vocal traditions and approaches so there's a real openness and a curiosity and at the same time for you know forming her own relationship with the singers and her own role as conductor and what that means because she's often there kind of as midwife helping yes you know composer bring something into being so she's really got a good good way of doing that now Absolutely. Yeah. She knows what they can do and mm -hmm. how to best communicate that to them. Yeah. Um, it's really quite fascinating. It's almost in a way like she's she's the score or she, you know, more than a conductor, like she mm -hmm. she she retains the memory of what the sound is we're trying to right. make mm -hmm. at this moment. Mm -hmm. For my Tilescapes project, we I mean, nothing was was notated. Uh, but I 
we made cue cards that had sort of reminder words on them. Right. But then they, they had figured out through rehearsal like what the sound was it would do. But then Shifra with her arms and her mm -hmm. face and her and her own singing would, would demonstrate what to do. So what does the score look like for Quarry? I mean, obviously you have parts for the, the musicians from it looks Continuum. It looks pretty written out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I can send you I can send you the the weird pages for when it goes a little bit, bit more free, but it, but it's pretty it's pretty specific what happens. Mm -hmm. So it's more it's it's not about having a uh a Schaefer Schaefery cool score. The goal is more is the mm -hmm. process that, yeah. that allows yeah. people to participate who And and the other thing is that the text for that piece, um, you know, if I've I put together the text, the lyrics from a huge um body of words and writings that were gleaned from workshops that Ruth Howard and her team did across Canada uh, as part of right. a train of thought project. I think we're, but the, the workshops are called four lands. So it's about these four lands, which deal with sort of weird specifics of actual, act, actual places, but also imaginary places, whether they be utopian or dystopian. And, uh, so the writing right. comes from that, and uh, she'd already culled a lot, and then I, yeah, it was a big process to just go through all that writing and take little phrases and collage it into something that made poetic sense for me and that I felt I could write music to. Mm -hmm. So um, the Gather Round singers and Jumbly's Theatre uh, tend to be adult community members, although some children mm -hmm. are involved. Could you, maybe could we talk about a project you've done with with students or young musicians? I mean, you and I worked together on the Viva sure. piece, and I, 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 but I only really in the mm -hmm. beginning, like I don't know what you ended up doing. Can I remember what I ended up doing. <laughs> oh, it's so sad when you don't have a performance that so you're all ready to go. Um, and then a pandemic happens, but it, it will, it will come into being. Anyway, I had some lovely uh, rehearsals or sort of experimenting times um, with the singers for the choir that I was working with. And so, again, I would bring in little sketches or I would talk about Asus and Galatea. Yes, which was, uh, so it's an adaptation of Ovid into a shorter text. And I think David Fallis originally wrote them. And then um, R.H. Thompson, who's eventually going to be narrating them, he sort of did his own version the way he'd like to speak them, right? So that's, I'm assuming, what you were working Indeed. On. And then, but of course, I did my own lyrics. So, um, ah. yeah. For the, like, for the, for the choral part. For the choral part, yeah. yeah. And, and so it was really a matter of, you know, spending time with those young singers and getting them to tell me the story, and together figuring out, had we forgotten stuff? I usually had forgotten stuff. I'd get the characters the wrong way around. Um, <laughs> what was it that they related to about that story? What did they remember? Mm -hmm. um, what age choir were you working with? I can't oh, remember. Oh, gosh, they seem quite young. Were they the littles? Uh, not quite totally little, but uh, they seem like they're about seven. Okay. Or eight, maybe. Yeah, so they, you know, the character of Polyphemus, who's this kind of ugly brute, um, who is, I mean, yes, he's threatening and an ogre, but he's also a bit unloved and unpopular. So we, you know, we talked about those sorts of themes, and um, so that informs the words. Some of them kind come a little bit out of what got them excited about the story, like, and they. They loved the descriptions of all the berries and fruits and other things that he would bring. Uh, but they but they also loved, you know, the violence of the story. So they oh yeah. 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 So finding a way to get that in there in a in a fun way. Um, Did you have them contribute musical ideas like melody, texture, <laughs> gestures? Or was it more about story and, and it's words? More about story and then we would I would do some kind of um, well, creative jamming, improving around a story idea. Sure. But no, they're not so much in there in terms of melody. It's more right. what what excites them, and um, yeah, oh, it does get pretty gruesome 
gets smashed with a rock and blood's dripping and the blood turns into a river. Cool. Oh, yes. Because these are all creation stories in a sense, like mm. how, yeah. Yeah. So Polyphemus, into, into yeah. yeah. Polyphemus mm. crushes Asus with the big rock, which was mm. Mount Et- Etna, and Galatea slips off into the, the sea. Yeah. So the story's not over because Etna erupts, <laughs> it seems, annually. There's yeah. always some yeah, yeah. eruption going on in Etna. Huh, he's still he's still there. He's still mad. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so that that was my way and you know, we had fun. We we I I think for them well, I hope it was interesting to have a little fragment that we play with one week and then the next week I come in and I've composed it a bit more and now it's around and then well what does that lead right. to and so that they're kind of contributing and witnessing this creative process and it's being steered by what they find uh, compelling about this story because it was right. story related. Yeah, what you're talking about really shows how you you ought to tailor the process, of course, to different age groups, but also to like what are they comfortable with and and familiar. Yeah, I'm just thinking. Um, I did do some workshops way back when for Canadian New Music projects, which would mm-hmm. bring composers into classrooms, and so I uh, worked at. Um, Claude Watson's School for the Arts and then I also did a project at oh, I feel like it was Brookfield High in Ottawa which mm. ended up being a piece for the St. Lawrence String Quartet and um, that piece you know the they were high school students and they all played instruments and they did generate or create material that went into the piece mm-hmm. through through a guided process so I was intrigued by the fact that their high school was right near the um, Canadian Agency for Spying on um, it's the Electronic Surveillance, uh, whatever it's called. It's CSIS? not C- it's not, not CSIS, CSIS, it's the... C something else. We, the other one. <laughs> they eavesdrop on the internet. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so we kind of got into this whole idea of co- coding. What are the secret mm. codes? And so we coded into music their birth dates and their addresses and things like that so using numbers to create melodies and rhythmic structures that we would Mm. kind of jam with in group settings and then kind of refine into oh that's that's cool i like that one let's you know put these together and kind of bricolage a, a piece together that's really fun because it, it, it forces um, a creative process that, that sometimes students can can have trouble with because I find with teenagers, sometimes they come up with an idea and it's like, oh, that's that. But if you do an idea through a kind of a, a, an arbitrary pro- mm-hmm. process, like converting yeah. words yeah. into, converting numbers into music, you might get something that's like, it's okay, but how could we refine mm-hmm. it? Yeah. And well, combine it. Yeah, exactly. And rethink it, be- it. And that's the part of the phase that, the, the process that, we need to coach sometimes with young people. Yeah. I mean, in one way, it's it's a bit arm's length. Um, it's sort mm-hmm. of musical materials are out here and I'm manipulating them, but that's not a bad thing if you're very self-conscious. And if if the task were to be express something of yourself through the music, that might be a little, yeah, just a bit personal, in, especially in a group context. So mm-hmm. finding a way to get people making sound together thinking about how does my rhythm fit with your rhythm? How does does my melody go with, oh, maybe it works better with that person over there and we'll try and do something together. And so it just introduces a little bit more perspective into what they're doing. And, mm-hmm. and also surprises, things that they wouldn't come up with just from coming out of their head. Um, well, that's what I like about arm's length processes as a as a yeah. grown up composer thing too. Yeah, me right? too. I use lots of little computery mm. programs to churn out notes using certain intervals for me because I like not deciding what the next note's going to be, but instead hearing it and thinking, ah, yep, that's the one. Um, you know, and and then I feel like it gets to the root of what composing is, which is not always deciding on notes; it's actually how you shape things. Yeah, yeah, you can generate material in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and then, flunking at a yeah, piano and what is you sometimes do not the best way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, sometimes, I, have you found that you've had to, when you've worked with, with young people, you've had to disabuse them of notions of what it means to be a composer? Do some of them have kind of old-fashioned ideas? 
Um, or just they've never thought about it? Uh, I mean, every so often there's sort of the, you know, the usually a piano prodigy who can kind of spool out Rachmaninoff kind of uh, stuff. And that's being a composer. You know, and that's, I couldn't do that. Um, but it doesn't, had, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's tricky. It's a tricky, that's a, that's a tricky situation because some they're often presented to you as here's this young composer and uh, uh, guide them. <laughs> like, well, yeah. I don't know what to do because, um, you know, it's like you were, you're a writer and someone brings to you this prodigy who only speaks in Shakespearean kind of sonnets and like, there's this genius playwright, <laughs> poet, <laughs> guide yeah. them. You're like, well, <laughs> they're living in another era. <laughs> their yeah. and it's, uh, conversation they're having is, um, I mean, yeah, you have to be very mindful how you handle that because you don't want to squash someone's excitement. No, but but also if you're going in with a process that's that's meant to have an entire class, an entire group, or a choir, oh, the group to, yes, doesn't work in the group setting. Yeah, because it's meant to be a, a democratizing <laughs> process. Yeah. Like I, I go into those things making it clear to students that I, I, my philosophy of composing is that you mm. can do it even if you can't read music. Right, right. If you if you can hear and make decisions and uh, and be deliberate about your process, then you're, you're composing. So those, those students, the Rachmaninoff prodigies can be at a disadvantage in terms of that mindset. But I think the trick is how do you harness the amazing things they can do too, without it taking over? Yeah. 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 Well, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the culture of classical music too, is that we elevate the individual and there's, you know, we have a sort of prize winning, set up where you're the you know you're looking for the best and yes. so if someone's like the best piano player and they write the most complicated thing it sort of pushes out other people who might be asking interesting questions and feeling their way into something quite creative um so yes finding the <laughs> how to how to create a space that is going to be nurturing for a lot of people rather mm -hmm. than perpetuating a kind of uh, pyramid structure of well, comp yes, competition. I mean. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, God, I did music competitions oh, as a pianist all through high school. You know, I remember, mm. I remember doing sight reading competitions, sitting at a, on stage at a piano and the piece of music oh, put in boy. front of me. And then, you know, you sit there for, I don't know, 30 seconds and you have to play it. <laughs> That's uh, one of the things weird. I love about sight it's reading. It's so weird. Wrong. <laughs> I love sight reading, you know, choir accompaniments and messing it up slightly, but staying on it, that actually is a wonderful feeling, you know, oh. not falling off that train. I usually do it quite well the first time through and then it just gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> the adrenaline wears off. Yeah. Yeah. I, rem I remember hearing once about page turning competitions. Wow. Uh, the, the actual page turners would be the ones competing. You'd wow. have you know, scores with, with DSL I'll coda ah, extra codas and I don't know crazy. And complicated things I d I've never proven that it exists but I, I was told I've turned pages for some incredibly long Feldman pieces which is it triadic memories which is, is it a solo that's piano one of piece? the ones that's about 75 minutes yeah, yeah. I turned pages so for that them, in New York oh, at a concert that started at 11, 11 o'clock at night Oh my, how do you stay with that? That's a hard That was to, very trippy. You can't just count the bars. Mm -mm. Oh boy. <laughs> I, saw, I, had a, I saw a great page turning disaster once that was graciously handled. Uh, I was at Roy Thompson Hall and it was Emmanuel Axe mm. and Yo-Yo Ma. Mm -hmm. And they were playing, you know, Brahms. Does Brahms have cello sonatas? I think so. Probably. Uh, or Mendelssohn or somebody. And um, there was a, 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 a breeze in the hall. And Yo-Yo Ma had his music, which he was just glancing at occasionally mm -hmm. on, a yo on a low stand. And the breeze picked it up and it went off. And the page turner who was over at the piano was worried and went over to help <laughs> Yo-Yo Ma get his music back. But meanwhile, missed a page with a manual axe and was obviously mortified. <laughs> and they finished that movement. And Emmanuel Axe just took one moment and turned to this this poor student, Paige Turner, and just, I think, put a hand on their shoulder and just obviously said something perfect, like just totally the most gracious thing. And I just, it was so warm. I loved it. Um, 
It's funny. I did turn pages for Manual X in a recording. Um, oh, what was it? It was um, Sonata and Quintet. Schubert, that's right. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so I was, when I was a student at Princeton, I see it now. It's, mm. um, it's a Sony classical. Yeah, there you go. Turning pages. <laughs> anyway, let's get on track. Yes, back on track. I won't cut any of this out because I think this is what people really want to hear. That seems like a great place to stop where we were sort of maximally off topic, but that's just the way that conversation went and I absolutely loved it. Hope you did too. Uh, So we'll be back in about a week with our next episode, which will be part two of my conversation with Juliet Palmer. In the meantime... Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't yet, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to uh, share, spread the word, then please uh, rate us, review us, and uh, come and like our social media as well. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Come and write something, uh, share your thoughts, and I'd love to have a conversation with you online. Fresh Sounds Open Ears is presented by the ACNMP, the Alliance for Canadian New Music Projects. Our music is by Saman Shahi, And our administrative help has been from Steph Chua. The Alliance for Canadian New Music Projects, ACNMP, is an organization dedicated to the promotion of Canadian contemporary music. Throughout our history, it has been our mission to encourage teachers to teach Canadian contemporary music, to motivate students to study and perform this music, and to encourage Canadian composers to write music for students of all levels, from the most junior to the paraprofessional. Our mission is to commission, promote, and preserve Canadian contemporary music as a cornerstone of our national heritage by fostering its performance among students, teachers, and performers through education, festivals, and workshops. Visit us at acnmp.ca.